This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Interviews. Hello and welcome to News Laundry Interviews. Now, if one follows news stories around communalization or just politics in the cow belt, there's one region that really stands out, Western Uttar Pradesh. Muzaffarnagar riots, Saharanpur riots, violence in Buland Shahar, the Dadri lynching, and of course the Love Jihad bogey. All of these just seem to have happened in towns and villages in Western UP. Now, just to introduce our readers to this region, Western Uttar Pradesh is close to Delhi. And in terms of economic and cultural indicators, it's a lot like uh, Haryana and Punjab than other parts of UP, uh, that is Purvanchal, Bundelkhand, or Awadh, where I also happen to be from. It has benefited a lot from green revolution. Uh, so there's a lot of sugarcane farming. It has industrial hubs in cities like Meerut and Agra. And it has seen some of the biggest peasant movements that have come from there, led by Chaudhary Charan Singh and Mahendra Singh. In fact, very interestingly, the last time we had so many farmers protesting in Delhi was when Mahendra Singh had led lakhs of farmers to Delhi's boat club back when Rajiv Gandhi was the prime minister. But what is it about this area that really makes it a fertile ground for polarization and issues like Love Jihad? To understand this, uh, we have Mihir Srivastav. Mihir has just co-authored this book. It's titled uh, Love Jihadis, An Open-Minded Journey into the Heart of Western Uttar Pradesh. Hi, Mihir. Welcome to News. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for taking out the time. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, so just to introduce Mihir, Mihir has over 15 years of work experience. He has worked with Tehelka. He's worked with Open. And currently, he's working with Patriot as a senior associate editor. Now, uh, Mihir, before we dive in, uh, let's start with what really triggered this book. Like, what made you decide that I'll pack my bags and go to Western Uttar Pradesh? I mean, the point is, Western Uttar Pradesh is so close to UP, also uh, close to Delhi, that I didn't even have to pack my bags. Hmm. Um, it was usually an over over the weekend kind of a trip, and uh, the whole idea of it was that uh, you know uh, I am a journalist and I am a practice journalist. I'm very critical about my own profession for the simple reason that. Uh, what I see, perceive, and understand on ground is not often reflected in my own story because there is an editorial process that it goes through. And a lot of external uh, considerations sort of creep in. And some of it is not entirely editorial in reason. Uh, there could be some extraneous considerations, uh, ideologies, and things like these. So I was... Uh, being in the business of communication, wasn't able to effectively communicate myself. And Love Jihad was one issue which I felt was funny. Funny to the extent that people are made to believe that two individuals, uh, and especially it's a comment on, on Hinduism, where a Hindu girl is a, a juvenile or novice or uh, do, docile enough not to make her own decisions because censors Muslim men, uh, are gunning for them to convert them into Islam. And this whole bogey itself was so, so I mean, defying any logic. But then our media was a sort of supportive of this whole um, uh, propaganda campaign uh, from certain sections of the society, especially um, from the Sangha Parivar. 
uh, it was quite dissatisfying. And of course, uh, once you are part of an organization, there are larger um, considerations that I talked about. So I thought uh, might, as, might as well, uh, and I, uh, at that point, uh, had time to spare. So we thought, okay, it's very close by Western UP. Let's do these weekend trips and meet all the people who are in news for all the wrong reasons, be it love, jihad, be whatever, and just figure out what's happening in their life. Who are these guys? Why are they bent upon marrying Hindu girls to convert them into Islam? And uh, what's the real story? So that's uh, how it all instigated. Okay. Now, uh, Mihir, one of the interesting thing about the book is now also, I think it, it happens organically because you are in Western Uttar Pradesh. It touches upon a lot of issues. So you obviously have love jihad, uh, but you also have ghar wapsi. You have also visited religious institutions. And, you know, like I was saying in the intro, so many things have happened in the Western Uttar Pradesh, especially in terms of like uh, inter-community clashes and violence and so on and so forth. What do you think makes Western Uttar Pradesh such a fertile ground for polarization? Now, of course, there's some bit of history to it uh, that there, there has been a decline in the agrarian economy. Uh, Western UP was one of the areas which benefited a lot from Green Revolution. But as that has declined, and obviously political parties in Western Uttar Pradesh have also fueled this kind of polarization for their own vote bank politics and to win election. But like beyond that, what do you really think uh, makes this area ticking for polarization? I think one, of course, uh, the simple fact that people are well off. So their day-to-day uh, -day consideration of finding a livelihood and stuff, it's to an extent taken care of. It's a very fertile part of the country. Uh, farmers are relatively richer. Then the caste equations are very, very strong. This is also a place where a lot of... Uh, honor killings happen. Yeah. Uh, so there are these martial tribes like Tyagis and Thakur and stuff who have a great influence over society. And a lot of that influence is uh, out of sheer muscle strength. And that's why they're called martial tribe. And, uh, and they, they're very reactive uh, people. So uh, uh, something happens, people accumulate, they take very violent uh, sort of... Uh, uh, reaction to issues pertaining especially to identity. And of course, caste was an identity that's uh, very strong here. Now the religion aspect of uh, people's identity was sort of uh, fueled in. And uh, so there is this, because they're strong, they have this tendency of sort of enforcing their way of life on others who are not so strong, who cannot get back to them. And of course, it's proximity to Delhi. Like, I, I didn't have to pack my bags. It's just like a couple of hours drive on a good day, and I'm at Meerut. It takes about two and a half hours to reach Aligarh, wherever, you know. So proximity. So anything that happens here uh, has repercussions in the capital. So it's, it's a convenient venue, if I may say, for uh, communal caches. And of course, uh, there are uh, bigger institutions like the Aligarh Muslim University, uh, which in a way is an opinion maker as far as minority com community is concerned, not just Muslims, but other communities there. And also Devan, which is a very sort of orthodox Muslim uh, cleric uh, organization. Uh, so it's also located in this part of the country. And of course, then there are these... Uh, um, sacred places for Hindus like Mathura, uh, where, uh, of course, this uh, Krishna Janamhumi issue is going on or will uh, pan out. And of course, uh, this cow belt and proximity to Rajasthan. Uh, so it's, it's at a very interesting uh, sort of juncture. Yeah. 
Now, uh, uh, Mihil, how much? So I, I I get what you are saying that a lot of it has to do with proximity uh, with UP and the presence of religious institutions and other institutions. But how much of what has happened in Western Uttar Pradesh you will sort of attribute to right wing parties like BJP? Because from what I understand and what what I have read, now, uh, so. Jats have a very strong sense of community. They're a very closely knit community, and if you see, I talked about the peasant movements that 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 the likes of Chaudhary Charan Singh has started. Mm. Now, from what I understand, there has also been a reimagination of identities. Whereas in earlier, your Jats included both Hindus and Muslims, and and all caste within Hindus. even though your your land owner judges were not muslim they were hindu and and they were they were rajputs or upper caste but in in the last in, in the last 6 7 years especially after the muzaffarnagar riots there has the polarization has also happened from the fact that a lot of these identities have become religious identities so where had wherein you as compared to before where you had a jat identity you had both muslims and hindus now after the polarization because muslims do, muslims are more in numbers in western up than other parts of up bjp has been able to wedge that gap uh, so how much how much of what has happened the violence clashes and on the ground and in terms of your experience as a reporter how much of it could be attributed to just bjp's politics a, a lot a lot uh, see uh, we are complex beings we are complex being because we have multiple identities sometimes conflicting identities we have a gender identity caste creed professional vocational identity age itself manifests as an identity age groups now what had happened earlier was that in this part of the country that's why there were so many communal clashes because people are very sort of fixed on with their identities what the communal politics is done is that i mean there was an era when mulaim singhs and mayawatis came into being and their politics was caste so they were reinforcing the caste identities which sometimes sort of uh, um, extends beyond hindu muslim so there are uh, you know dalits both muslim dalits and hindu dalits but then bjp when it uh, sort of came into power and prominence what they did was that out of these complex identities they targeted the religious identity and therefore it was very important for them to sort of bring in dalits as well and sort of reinforce other so sort of dominate the religious aspect of their being more than the caste and of course it took time it took about 20 years for this reinforcement to happen it didn't happen over a day and now since this ram temple issue and babri masjid demolition and all those kind of issues were a part of this whole uh, effort concerted effort over a couple of decades to reinforce the religious identity over all other identity and uh, so the, and, and of course apart from that there is also they also understand the 70% i mean about dalit and muslims are nearly in the same numbers about 17 uh, 16 17% of the population so while reinforcing uh, the hindu identity they had to take care of dalits as well that uh, and also while they also wanted to sort of uh, breach uh, the muslim community by uh, having these you know triple talaq dialogue and stuff so there was a direct affront 
also in the way they practice their religion. So people were very reactive about it. So in this whole uh, sort of bringing religion into public discourse, into polity, into how you disseminate uh, government uh, measures, institutions uh, were acutely conscious of people's religious identity. Have all reinforced uh, communal politics, and it's 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 part of a very planned uh, sort of uh, uh, intervention. Got it. Not just in this region, but other parts of the country as well. Mm-hmm. So I'll I'll come back to the caste identity part later, Nehru. Uh, but you know this coming back to love love jihad, which is like the primary theme in your book. This this fear of Muslim man. and you know that they are libidinous and they are after innocent hindu mm-hmm. women who don't know what to do with their life and fall prey to such people now this is not new this has existed as far back as pre independence uh but but we are in a time where uttar pradesh has now passed an ordinance that sort of makes it makes it a law and makes it a lot difficult that if you want to in fact it debars people to uh, to change your religion just for marrying someone you know as a reporter because a lot of us opine about love jihad uh, and and a lot of us when we are opining about love jihad we are actually not on the ground but you're one of the few reporters who have actually reported from there uh, uh, one of the central figures in your book is this woman called shalu who married a muslim man went against her family Uh, the entire uh, the entire climate that the mainstream media created and so on and so forth so on the ground do you think there is there is even any truth or there is even any iota of doubt about love jihad does it exist on the ground uh, i mean it's funny it's unbelievable the whole narrative is based on acute inferiority complex as far as the sangha parivar or whoever supporting this whole uh, bogey of love jihad one of course like you said uh, that they 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 say that muslim men are sensuous simply because they live in cramped houses and they are sort of exposed to um, uh, sexual activities very early in their life and hindu girls are very docile and amenable and once they experience a muslim man there's no going back they're absolutely flawed that's absolute crap sensuality and docility stupidity or any form of adjective that you associate people with has nothing to do with their religion there can be docile and aggressive people in either religion all religions of the world there can be sensuous hindu men i take personal offense you know only muslim men are sensuous that's that's <laughs> big crap i don't know why sang parivar has that kind of inferiority complex i don't so this whole narrative is based on inferiority complex i mean you go there and say on the ground i mean see how interesting this inferiority complex syndrome is the the aggressor becomes the victim oh my god my girl our girls you know and the victim is shown as somebody who has some ulterior motive and even if you Agree with what they have to say. It will take about fifteen hundred years to convert all Hindu girls into Islam by marrying them. So they are paranoid about an eventuality that is not going to happen. So that's the narrative. I am a practicing Hindu. I am a proud Hindu, and that's why it's doubly demeaning for me that uh, Hindu girls and Hindu men are portrayed in this manner. 
there is nothing of this kind as far as two individual young individuals are concerned they can fall in love i mean what has religion to do with it correct and if you fall in love then all other considerations go to the backdrop is just this intense desire to be together and in this particular case which you mentioned which they this love jihad uh, case uh, where shalu uh, the hindu girl was involved was called as the the Uh, the the case and the people involved were called the masterminds of love jihad and uh, it's such a beautiful uh, the fact of the matter is contrary to the propaganda so now uh, shalu meets this muslim guy who she eventually marries despite uh, the whole um, establishment the whole hell breaking loose was she was teaching english in the village madarsa a hindu girl a hindu girl teaching uh, english in a madrasa is a beautiful fact there is nothing communal about it so what we come to know is that they employ girls what we come to know is they also read and write english uh, what i also come to know is that they open to having people from other religions mm-hmm. and what was portrayed by the media that this uh, little madrasa where you know the average age of children is 5 years was a terror factory and when you went there to the terror factory i only saw little kids you know so little that they can't even wipe their face sitting and mugging up you know like parrots and i said and i asked one of the you know teachers there where is the bomb factory and so they were like this is the darwin get the joke they're so sensitive about it so that's that's what it is where is love jihad on the ground i have yet to find and not i am not the only one and i a was created to investigate terror cases now they are muckraking marriages and what, even the nia which was given 69 cases out of which they investigated 11 cases in detail none of these cases they were able to prove any love jihad i mean we live in the same world i mean i'm waiting for a love jihad case to happen prove it they never stand judicial scrutiny that thrown out even at the lower court level who are more than willing to sort of accommodate government's uh, sort of point of view but where is love jihad happening i want to know and you form a law in a case where not a single case has been proved of love what is love jihad is no crime so even now when they have come up with this uh, legislation uh, ordinance is not called love jihad it's called anti conversion law but it is portrayed as love jihad and of course now i mean their imagination run wild love jihad is not the only case they will come up with love jihad uh, land jihad rape jihad this jihad and they have a list of 15 such jihads correct yeah sudeep so chaudhary actually did show it up on his show oh he's i think he is one of those incredible journalists who have very fertile imagination hmm. i think he can he can sit on planet mars and do stories about india Correct. he is so imaginative hmm. because they never venture out of their um, sort of studio they are sort of stationed there and uh, imagine things and then articulate it with uh, without slightest hesitation correct as if they uh, have experienced it first hand mm-hmm. so uh, good you mentioned uh, media mihir and i think it 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 comes up like a bunch of times in your book also and i'm sure as a reporter the way media was reporting on love jihad and all these issues sort of motivated you also to go on your own now now i think we talk a lot about you know mainstream media in, in, in fact 
as we at news laundry we do a lot of reportage and a lot of writing on how mainstream media especially the broadcast media is reporting on these issues and and then actually spreading hate and propaganda but one thing that doesn't often gets talked about is the role of vernacular or in case of up hindi media and again this is something that we've we've reported on extensively if you if you look at the reportage in hindi dailies you know the leading hindi dailies from the likes of daini jagran and all uh even even the pettiest of crimes there will be a communalized spin to it uh they report on love jihad even though there is no truth to it with a lot of with a lot of sincerity so to say in fact uh, we had spoken to mohammad ali who had written that long profile of bajrangdal leader in wired and he has also he had also extensively talked about this like that even when there are new stories when uh when like when there hasn't been any love jihad case they will actually start with the love jihad headline and then in the end paragraph they will say that it was actually not about love jihad but but again like regular people only lead the headline so in your experience were you also able to like sift through like how local media was reporting it that is one and second is how much of a role do you think hindi media has played in propping up issues like love jihad i mean um, um as far as i'm concerned there's hardly anything to choose between hindi media and i mean hundreds of this world like also exist so i won't uh, place the blame on hindi media but you're absolutely true i have come across stories which says love jihad and then they start prove nahi hua hmm. but the headline is love jihad so people are like oh ja love jihad ek aur ho gaya ek aur ho gaya but they in the very first paragraph they say that this love jihad case was investigated and they found nothing but that's in the uh, in the middle of a paragraph somewhere so they and and see see the point of the matter is i mean i having said that i don't blame hindi media for it but let's look at the economics some of the newspapers don't pay enough and some hindi newspapers actually i to be a reporter in say a certain i don't want to name any you actually pay your employers keep keep me in the roles give me a i card or something mm-hmm. and then these uh, reporters go and go to people and say was i will write about you or i'll give you mention you in a quote or whatever and uh, you pay me money because i have to pay somebody else or the organization itself to sustain like uh, on diwali and holi and new years and you know all these festivals like uh, you know um, people go uh, for charity these journalists go to i mean i have uh, been witness to uh, in ghaziabad lot of these local cub reporters go to each of these factory owners and say bhai diwali de do which usually means cash correct so that is how they operate i mean there is no question that they will ever be reflecting reality so uh, uh, and 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 now uh, coming in terms of reporting crime i mean they are all they, the very fact that they get access to the police or the uh, uh, ssp or spct uh talking to them is uh that they uh write in the they in fact sometimes dictate the story yeah. i have known sps dictating the story are ye mat likho they sometimes even tell you don't take the byline for it say by staff correspondent and i don't blame it entirely on um, on the local media again because i have also seen this happening at the cbi headquarters where the pro the public relations officer or uh, have been telling you know some of their uh, sort of patronized uh, journalist okay you know uh don't mention the source don't take credit for this story don't do this they take instructions they take dictations 
Sometimes they just reprint it without even adding a word to it. Mm-hmm. And so this is the state of reality as far as media is concerned. But having said that, see, I, uh, for one, feel because of my other uh, sort of expertise, um, I'm in, into art. I, I look at humans uh, in, as a complex organism. Uh, and I uh, always feel this the greatest crisis we're facing in this country or anywhere in the world is that we are opinionated. And there is a thing called a phenomenon called converse, uh, confirmation bias. So we are bent upon proving what we want to prove or what we believe in or what we think our ideology dictates. This right, left, you know, and this, we are all exchanging rhetorics. There is hardly any substantial um, information base to base on our arguments. And we being a complex society can prove anything I want to by selectively uh, informing people or by manipulating facts. Mm -hmm. So my my whole idea of uh, my profession is that for once, one, I prefer younger people because they don't carry ideological baggage or information experience and stuff. And they go out with an open mind. That's what I've tried to do in this book. And I'm not saying pro-Muslim, anti-Muslim. I'm just... I, and the whole experience as it came out from this perspective is like, just figure out, let's talk to these guys and say what they have to say. So we come across, I mean, I just mentioned one, Sanaullah, who was called the mastermind of Lajjad, not just in this part of the country, but uh, rest of the country as well. Like he had some special funding coming from Saudi Arabia to convert Hindu girls by marrying them. So now I meet him and I, he's, he's like sitting ignored and nobody is talking to him. And he says, when we met him, do you know who I am? I said, Sanaullah, I know. He said, I am the mastermind, speak to me. And he says, ever since the election happened in 2014, once they were out on bail after being sort of... Uh, this is held. who was put as a gang rape accused in the same case. As- oh, you're gang rape accused. Uh, so I mean, everybody who was employed had gang raped this girl called Chalu. And Shalu actually ran a risk to her life by her own family members. And she ran away from her house and she ran 10 kilometers across the swampy paddy fields and read a Mahila Thala and got herself reported because she said, I'm being threatened. Somebody will kill me. My own cousins will kill me. And then finally she was lodged in a Mahila ashram for a year. And as per the required stipulations, after 11 months of staying there and nobody comes to claim you, you are produced before the high court. And that's when she was, then she was produced before the Allahabad high court. She says, Bhai sahab, uh, my Lord, none of these guys have gang raped. I've never been gang raped. I've never been raped. And the guy, one of the guys, they accused me of gang raping is Kaleem, who's my husband. And he says, okay, how old are you? I'm major. Okay, who do you want to go to? She said, I want to go to my husband. So it was on the Allahabad High Court instruction that she was sent back to her family. And the case is still going on. The Love Jihad case, which is nothing called Love Jihad. This kidnapping, gang rape case is going on. Happily married and... Happily and thankfully, and, and, and they have a daughter. And they don't stay in Meerut. They have shifted to some other place. And, I, and, and of course, I don't want to talk about where they have moved on because I want them to be safe and enjoy their life. And I, and I think Shalu is the figure of feminism. Everything uh, she had to uh, sacrifice, but she stood by her decision. And I'm also glad that um, her husband's family, despite the kind of vindication, vindictive that they had to face from the government, police and everyone, they stood by her, they accepted her, and she's very much integral to the, uh, to the family. And people like Shalu, who, who despite everything, all the polarization and communalization has happened as, as such a uh, symbol of big hope. But we'll come, come back to that. Uh, now, Mihir, earlier you, you sort of touched upon this sense of inferiority 
within hindu men right that in 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 terms of like how muslim men are and how they are after innocent uh, hindu women yeah. now we can deny it but again this sense of hindu hurt is real because what has happened uh, and especially media has played a big role into it now a lot of people a lot a lot of people believe in love jihad because it has gotten into their psyche and media mm-hmm. has done a very good job at it where they have extensively report and argued that there are cases of like uh, uh, there there are cases of love jihad politicians have have amplified it and so on and so forth and of course there's a sense of history history has also been misconstrued that for the, for so on and for like centuries for centuries we were being misruled uh, and so on and so forth and of course people who believe that kind of a thing only read one side of history and and, and not the overall picture and one of one of one of the things i really like about your book is that throughout the travel log essentially so for our readers this is essentially uh, mihir and the co-author of the book uh, uh, rahul there was a photographer who, he took all the pictures who's the photographer it's essentially a travel log so in uh, in in a span of what in a span of 12 months you travel through yeah. different districts and towns yes. of of uh, of western uttar pradesh now so coming back so this sense of hindu hurt is very real people actually buy into that and what your book does very well is that it actually goes and engages with these characters you know characters like uh, chetna devi that's chetna her, devi chetna devi uh, uh, no people like her who who are sort of trying to build an army of uh, hindu women to fight against muslim men and so on and so forth because a lot of times what happen happens is the delhi or the so called liberal media we often look down a mock up these characters saying these are at the fringes even though we very well know that these are not the people who are on the fringes right now they're as mainstream as any other uh, as any other political ideology or opinion for that matter so it's very rare that these characters are engaged and not mocked or talked down to so as a writer or as a reporter how important for you how important was it for you to sort of speak with these character engage with them and at the same time not being judgmental because given what your own bias or what your own understanding on these issues might be i mean uh, so uh, when i met chitna devi and i said i don't agree with you i can never agree with you because this this is this that hindu muslim men are sensual and hindu girls are gullible is her theory because i said you are a very strong woman you are you're creating a militia uh, she has some two and a half uh, lakh supporters in merit Uh, she's a very dangerous woman. She's a lawyer. She's very independent. She's leading a, a group. She is heading a temple organization. So you can be anything but weak. And I don't agree with you, but I want to understand you where this is coming from. So what I came across, and and we had a, and I, I said I guarantee you because I don't represent an organization. I'm going to write a book, and there's no word limit. uh so what i can assure you is that your point of view will be reflected in the book and of course i have my set of belief i have my set of experience that guide me through so what i came across chetna devi is very 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 nice person to talk to till the time she is not talking about hindu muslim she is a great host so we have had lot of puris and jalebis at her place so i'm very grateful to her for that uh she is also not a politician Mm. she is misguided but she a believes in her cause and i respect her for that 
she's not manipulating reality she believes it she's in a denial because she believes in it she feels that by 2030 muslims will be a majority and then when they become a majority we need to fight back to sort of survive she doesn't like bjp because they, she feels bjp is very soft and she also feels that she was used and now she she fears no one and she has fixated an agenda of creating or arming society in a way so as to face an eventuality where muslims will become a majority and and she has no doubt about it and she said if you don't believe me that's your problem go to hell i respect her what i don't respect is is people who are creating this alternate narrative and uh, putting uh, fuel to the fire see now look at the uh, irony this organization with uh, which uh, chitna represents has been there for last 20 years mm-hmm. there has never been a ban on this organization and people who tacitly encouraged her was actually the samajwadi party because their political idea was that if she can you know create a militant hindu society we can always keep garnering muslim vote because they will feel insecure and they will en masse come to us it was only yogi adityanath's government that for the first time filed an fir on this organization chetna's own guru who studied engineering in 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 russia and her father his father was a communist is now leading this group and he was put behind the bars because he decided to carry out a procession without the police permission or despite the denial of permission and he was put behind bars and i said hello yogi put you behind bar i said because yogi wants to be the sole representative of hindus mm-hmm. whether it's, it's extreme hindu uh, ideology or less hindu ideology he wants i am the sole spokesperson of hinduism and now stepping off of, from the fact that i'm a journalist as a hindu i say he is not i am a practicing hindu and i don't identify with the kind of uh, things being propagated so chetna devi was never in news and chetna devi also because of her extreme posture was not in news but here is a very important lesson to learn there are people who believe i mean and, and you can you will also find such people in the muslim communities uh, like when we went to devban so there they have you know they have their own they keep issuing fatwas on just about everything mm-hmm. what was heartening was that in the same organization people said well you know it pays to make hindu muslim fight, uh, fight because then we'll be relevant but it is impossible to make them fight or uh, have this right like situation for more than 2 weeks uh, which involves larger area simply because 90% most of the muslims are in the informal sector when we talk about district not in delhi but like in smaller towns and cities and 80% of whatever they produce is consumed by hindus mm. so it's just not sustainable the reality of the matter is it's not the religious it's not the caste it's the economic imperative the economic intertwining of the two communities that sustains them together and that imperative is very much intact so whether the devbandis or the chetna devis of the world like it or not hmm. a hindu muslim conflict over a larger area unless we become hitlers is unsustainable for more than 2 weeks so that's what gives you hope in the long run absolutely uh, absolutely yeah yeah um so you know mihir so love jihad is about you know interreligion interfaith marriages but there are also tensions around intercaste marriages for that matter 
and uh, it's not the it's not that like in western uttar pradesh you just have like hindu muslim divide there's also a caste hotline right like what what happened at saharanpur especially uh, uh, especially as chandrashekhar ravan has sort of has, has sort of uh, gotten more following as a political leader also so there's clearly that tension also and and from what i could understand a lot of it has to do with the fact that we've come from a more peasant based identity we came to a caste based identity right so chaudhary uh, charan saying and after that we had a peasant based identity where uh, where you had a uh, you had a jat identity and everybody would be part of it and then after that after after the obc reservation and obviously after uh, the samajwadi party and all there was like a caste caste based identity also now in the last like i argued like i said before especially after the muzaffarnagar rise it has become like a religious identity but at the same time it has also not it also doesn't sit well with a lot of people from backward caste and that's why you have seen a lot of in fact uh, we had we had news where uh, a dalit groom was intimidated because he was marrying a woman from upper caste but this caste fault line is something that doesn't really come across on your book is it because you were focusing just on love jihad or did you just yeah. so i was just focusing on communal clashes mm-hmm. not caste clashes uh, uh, and and it's also interesting uh, see we as polit you know they as politicians want to engage with people and how do they engage with people how do they get their attention so they pander to one of their identities mm-hmm. in the 90s and probably 10 years ago the caste identity uh, as far as western up was concerned was very pivotal that's why malayam singhs and mayawatis did well but ever since modi came to power and it's uh, amit shah's genius and i am one 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 has to give in to him the political discourse now surrounds around the religious identity and therefore those who propound religious identity are in power mm. it is it is a bait you know they say oh this you there is a crisis there is a religious crisis you need me because i will protect you mm. no mean i understand that but what i'm trying to understand is because you are in western uttar pradesh right mm-hmm. so like i said it's like do the caste fault lines don't come in the book because there's a lot of happening on that front also purely because you were focusing on love jihad or yes, like yes. you were like you were arguing the entire bjp politics has to do with religious identity and not caste identity no so i'm i wasn't arguing anything what i was trying to do is, is it's a very superficial book if i may put it it's not like an academic study where you look at to 13% kurmis 15% yadav muslims no nothing i mean that's what news channels in delhi do hmm. they keep doing the arithmetic my idea was very simple these guys were in news for all the wrong reasons he's a lajjadi he's a kavijilantist he's this is that this is where they claim all the terror factories are in deoband and this is where uh, you know chetnas of this world exist hmm. so let's go and talk to them so that's that's the whole idea so of course there was uh, wasn't much focus on the caste uh, aspect but uh, it is perceptible that uh, now caste as an identity in terms of political discourse has relegated to the peripheries and for that they are not responsible for that popular media is responsible see they they are a dalit and a hindu they are a, 
Dalit and a Muslim and a weaver and everything. I mean, they, they know what they are. It is how we project. It is how we bring them to the society. It is the kind of issues we raise in the media that becomes part of the popular discourse in the society. Mm-hmm. So, of course, thanks to a certain political outfit gaining uh, power of political influence over the last decade or so, the nature of discourse has changed. And it's not even a comment on the political parties. It's a comment on the media itself that we take that bait. He says, okay, discuss love jihad. Even if we are saying there is nothing called love jihad, we are discussing love jihad. Hmm. I mean, there are times when we have to take a call and say, we will not talk about this rubbish. Because that is even not worth a mention. See, it is, it is a pseudo-reality that doesn't exist on the ground, but it is still prevails and has sort of clouded people's judgment because But nobody wants to ask, and there are people, most of them have been married. I came across so many Muslims. And the other part of the story, which is very important, I need to mention it, is that once first for the first time I was sent on a story like this, and I found three cases where Hindu girl married uh, Muslim men in Meerut. And out of sheer curiosity, I got in touch with some local journalist. And I said, can you figure out how many, uh, can you find some cases where Muslim girls married into Hindu family? There were seven. So I'm not saying reverse love jihad is happening. What I'm saying is that what's the big deal? I mean, people do end up marrying intercaste. Uh, so when I brought this, and I don't want to mention the organization I was working for, uh, but I, when I said, well, bhai, to ulta bhi chal hai. Kya nahi usko ignore karo, bas pray I already karo. mentioned organizations have worked for me. So I, think I mean, I mean, I mean. <laughs> anyway, so, so that is like, usko chodo, isi pe concentrate karo. what yeah. bullshit is this? Yeah. In fact, and, and, I was coming to that, you know, there's a part in the book where, you know, there's a adda, I think it's in Meerut, if, if I'm, uh, if yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. and how freelancers and stringers and journalists have gotten together and you're talking about how they know which publisher, what story to pick. Yeah, so, so, story like you were, talk, you were talking about Hindi journalists. So Hindi journalists are like, uh, I like uh, multicolored, uh, like textured uh, shirt which will suit a yellow pant and a blue pant and a green pant, depending on what political ideology you belong to. So the same set of reporters says, oh, if you want to get published in some Urdu journal, you have to write it this way. If the same story has to be published, say by, I don't want to name any publishing, uh, you have to sort of uh, write it like this. So they have the same information is being churned out differently for different publications. You know, so as, as a journalist, as a writer, where and how do you see hope, especially on issues like love jihad? Because see, almost all of it in entirety has to do with how media has portrayed it. And if such is the state of the media that you will have reporters and journalists trying to write it the way the publisher's bias or political opinion is, do you see this getting better anytime? Because otherwise we're see, all... See, only I, uh, I think we will only get better if we get real about our own selves. So we should stop calling ourselves journalists. We are propagandists. And now once we come across this point, okay, let's deal with propaganda. I need a job. I don't have a luxury to survive without a job. So what do I do? I choose my own propaganda. And once I choose my propaganda, I join in. Whether it's left, right, center, whatever. 
See, at the end of it all, the reality as it manifests is not uh, left or right or center. It's the reality itself in its wholesome complexities. Mm. So till the time we rem- see this whole idea of carrying a baggage, op- see, like I mentioned earlier, greatest crisis is where opinionated. It is, it is, it requires a personal revolution. We may find thousand reasons in the government, in the polity, in the place we work and stuff like that. This little endeavor of me and Raul traveling across Western UP, having lots of kebab while speaking to these uh, interesting people who have been in news for all the wrong reasons simply because they were picked. It could have been somebody else. And think of us as people, we are instrument of a setup where somebody is picked for no fault of theirs and they are highlighted in the media. Their personal life becomes a public spectacle and people uh, sort of polarize and uh, sit on judgment and their family, business, everything is ruined. And we like sit and watch. And we are the, the journalists, so-called journalists are the instruments for it. I think, first of all, it, the part of uh, getting out of this syndrome is to be very disillusioned about ourselves, is to do some real thinking. And we have to find, which I'm very glad News Laundry is doing, to find some alternate ways of funding. But at the end of it all, the real revolution lies in not carrying a baggage of opinion. Reality is very, and, and as a journalist, I'd advise people not to believe what they see and read in newspapers or any publication. Sometimes it's, it's very good to be skeptic and healthy skepticism. He says, and, 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 and it won't be a bad idea to uh, see some of the news channels as like, you know, famous soap operas or something of that nature. Correct. Not more and more senior, senior, serious than that. Mm-hmm. I think, I that, think the starting point is to be highly disillusioned about our own profession. Correct. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, that's what we should end that. As readers, we should be all a lot more skeptical, especially when reading stories on news around communalization and polarization. Cool. Uh, thanks a lot for your time, Meer. Uh, yes. Readers, if you like the interview, do check out Meer's book. Especially, there's so much being written and talked about Love Jihad without even being talked to people who have been affected by this. One of the good things about the book is that Mihir has actually gone and spoken to people who have bore the brunt of this kind of love jihad conspiracy and bogey that the mainstream media has talked about. So do pick up the book. Uh, someone like me, I, my interest in the book came purely from the point of looking at Western Uttar Pradesh and all that has happened. So if you want to look at from that vantage point also, this can be a good starting point. Good. Uh, uh, thanks a lot for your time, Meer. Yeah, uh, pleasure. With your future endeavors. Thank you. Thank you very much. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes, and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs, and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. Oh,